Let's start with the rapid fire round. The first one is, at what age do you want to retire? <laughs> Hopefully as late as it gets. Um, so I don't know, 70, 80, maybe 90. How long does it take you to get ready in the mornings? Half an hour, maybe. Most embarrassing moment of your life. Oh, I don't remember. Favorite color? Green. What time of day are you most inspired? In the morning. How many hours of sleep can you survive on? On average, I need six. Fill in the blank. An upcoming technology trend is blank. Well, artificial intelligence. The city in which the best kiss of your life happened. Well, my hometown, of course. <laughs> Pick one. Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk. Neither. The biggest mistake of your career. Well, I'm very happy in my career, actually. How do you relax? Running. How many cups of coffee do you drink per day? On average, five-ish or so. A habit of yours that you hate? Well, when I'm nervous, I'm playing around with my fingers. The most valuable skill you've learned in life? Enjoying to work with human beings. Your favorite Netflix show? I don't watch Netflix. Uh, are you an early riser or a night owl? Rather early. One word description of your leadership's time. Very trustful. Top priority in your daily schedule? Communication with my people. Ideal vacation spot? Ooh, um, it's more about with whom, slash my family, rather than where. Key factor for maintaining a work-life balance. Stitching it together, it's more a blending than a balance. Memorable career milestone. Having founded Flix. A recent business innovation that caught your attention. Essentially, that comes back to large language, language models, so slash AI. The last song you've been listening to. Oh my god. Um, I don't know. It was today in the morning in the, in the cab. I don't know. The follow-up question is, can you hum it for us? <laughs> no, not really. And if so, you wouldn't want to. <laughs> Okay, uh, the last movie that you saw that had a good impression on it? <laughs> the last movie I saw was the Paw Patrol movie together with my son. All right, well, that's the end of the rapid fire round. Let's go on to the larger question, which you can answer with as much ease, as much time, as much thought as you well, like. Uh, the first one is, can you share a bit about your journey from your time at Oshule Undead to Bandic? Did I pronounce it right? No, that's fine. <laughs> To founding Pixpers and your current role as founder and chief organizational Flambo. Yeah, sure thing. So um, basically, uh, in Ansbach was the University of Applied Science. I studied first at. Um, the reason I choose that, which is close to my hometown, is because I worked more for Siemens back in the days than I actually studied. Um, the reason is because working, creating something tangible, always drove me. 
And uh, after having finished the studies, then took on a couple of journeys, including, you know, a step in the US, I came back to Munich, where I rejoined with Andre, one of my two co-founders. And basically, we know each other for more than 30 years. And we started talking around how kind of almost ridiculous the golden hamster wheel for a strategy consultants at BCG, what he did back then, or at Microsoft for a tech consultant, what I did was, and we thought, hey, maybe we can do better. And uh, that started where we really went through a bunch of ideas, a bunch of problems and improvement thoughts. Um, and at some point in time, we ended up with Flix basically because of the news. We read in the news that uh, the former government in Germany wanted to deregulate the, the German long-distance coach market. And we took that bet. Um, we, uh, three of us co-founded Flix and essentially it became true. The market opened up and we started with uh, our partnership model, you know, with um, A, bringing our mid-sized bus partners together on a very tech-driven platform and therefore, you know, started uh, the core of uh, what uh, meanwhile is around in 42 countries. And, you know, the reason why I'm still um, heading technology product and people, making me the chief organizational plumber, is obviously the studies back uh, at the University of Applied Science, which was business information system. So I'm a bit of a techie at heart, but essentially what I love doing is organizational building, working with people. And, uh, you know, that means you basically plumb all the obstacles and everything, which kind of like, um, uh, are in the way of um, of the Flixies to do great stuff, to deliver great customer value. And uh, I think that's not only true for me, I just make it, make it explicit with that funny term. It's true for every leader. As a leader, you really take care about um, whatever can't be solved by the people. And that means on a daily basis, you have to plumb quite a bit to keep the machine running. So what are the key pivotal plumbing moments that have tested your resolve? in your time at Flixbus? So first, you know, you tend, um, you really tend to work with, you know, bunch of interns and juniors, not only because they're cheap, but also because you get them quickly. But apparently it's hard that they take full accountability because they have barely as much experience as you have yourself. So I'd rather really look for a more experienced leader and quicker, if I do it a second time, hire, you know, experience in general. Because if you do that and you hire particularly people for a certain task which are better than yourself, it's way easier to start delegating properly. And delegating is one of the key elements um, I'd, I'd mention. If you then flip the coin towards technology, I think in the beginning we were a bit hesitant to take proper invest. So it took us too long to build up our internal tech team. We rather relied on uh, external resources and you know, for all the core services of each business, you better do it yourself and do not rely on externals. And, you know, we had to clean up afterwards. So these were two, you know, larger learnings, which uh, I had to plumb afterwards. So Flixbus has been a pioneer in green mobility. What inspired you to focus on making travel more sustainable? Was it in the government thing as well? And what challenges did you face in implementing this vision? The truth is, initially, we wanted to really bring smart and green mobility. So sustainable and affordable mobility to all people because we thought, you know, individual traffic is expensive. Some other alternatives like uh, governmental train services are expensive. So that was what drove us. And, you know, very quickly after there were studies from the German government that per head per passenger, 
the carbon dioxide footprint is even better with buses than it used to be with trains. And uh, we were a bit surprised back then, but we took that. And obviously, you know, Flix is very good in bringing economical sense and ecological sense together. Obviously, we need a high load factor. So many people on our buses to really are successful from a commercial point of view in an economical sense. But that also leads to many people sharing the same mode of transportation, which reduces obviously the carbon uh, footprint per head. And essentially, when that turned out to be true and we realized, we kind of tried to really just scale that. And um, with the scale, obviously, the responsibility grows. And that means we obviously not only do what we did good in the past with the most modern combustion engines, but we also started with our ESG report to really think about how in the next 10 to 15 years we can convert in Europe our fleet to even a more sustainable EV-powered uh, uh, kind of thing because we believe this is uh, what is important. And as a, a, a good member of the transportation community and uh, a successful company, we have to take that responsibility. So what do you think about all the flight cuts that different European nations are implementing for the green bodies? I believe if... The infrastructure is there, and I think France is a good example. If you have a high-speed train or a certain bus connection, which is reliable and you know in a good in a good shape, then obviously it doesn't make sense to have short-haul flights. So I believe we will see what France implemented already across different other European nations over the next couple of years, and we are very supportive not only with Flixbus but in that high-speed sector, essentially also with Flixtrain. So speaking of all this innovation, as a founder of Flix, you're deeply involved in the intersection of technology and mobility. How do you see technology shaping the future of transportation itself, especially in the context of Flixbus? You know, we have mentioned briefly, and it's all across uh, and around Web Summit, artificial intelligence. And they're kind of different things. There's NLP and large language models, and there's machine learning, which we do already to optimize our network planning. But if you look at that particular intersection, I believe autonomous driving will play a key role and we won't wait until level five is there. But there are intermediary solutions like remote controlled driving supported by artificial intelligence, which really can help us to increase the service level to our customers and eventually ease the lives of our drivers. We must not forget this is one of the super responsible jobs we've offered out there, not only for the bus drivers, but also you know, for uh, uh, the, the, the train, the train uh, uh, chiefs. And that, together with AI, can improve. And that will lead to eventually becoming a more attractive job in the future. Because, I mean, there is no magic. We have driver shortages and it is a scarce resource and became more challenging over COVID. We try to fight against that, you know, offering an attractive job itself. But I believe with these kind of technologies, eventually, you know, getting up at home, having a coffee with your family and doing a remote control, you know, bus stop to highway session. And then eventually on the highway, even at some point, uh, which is, you know, a contained system, it can be fully remote and fully autonomous. And then another driver can pick it up and you don't have to always sleep out of home and things like that, which eventually really will um, upgrade the job quite a bit. And hopefully, leads uh, uh, to attract more more future bus drivers and train chiefs. Are there any issues around safety that have been raised in this instance? Well, I believe you have to always put safety first. We are a transportation company and we move people from A to B. And we do that not only sustainable and affordable, but obviously safety first. That means 
you can try out these technologies, you know, without customers yet in a contained system. But before it has been rolled out, there's a regulatory and there is safety, which have to be compliant 100% before you really move customers or even uh, put drivers at risk. So being the chief organizational plumber still sounds very intriguing. Can you share a lesson learned from a leadership decision that didn't go as planned? And how did you adjust your approach to improve future plumbing strategies? So basically, if I remember the leadership decisions, which didn't go as planned, it's mainly about two things. A, I didn't hear to my gut feeling and to, you know, my personal experience, with a, which I couldn't clearly express, but it was rather gut feeling. Or I didn't involve our people enough. So I thought I'm smarter than the rest and just took the decision based on the role. And both of these decisions led to, you know, more plumbing effort, so to say. On the other hand, if you take an example where I took a risk in a, a leadership decision and uh, even had a large reorganization at Flix Tech and asked the people how they would reorganize and really gave them the autonomy and just adjusted a bit here and there, well, basically that worked much better. And we didn't have not invented here syndromes or people trying to really stick, you know, and not being able to let loose. And also accountability and business continuity worked way smarter. So. I believe whenever I took rather joint decisions, being fully aware that the final accountability is on me based on my role, um, we're always better than I thought I was smarter than the rest for whatever reason or decided against my gut. So speaking of delegation, delegating power and responsibility, how many people report to you and how many people report to them? <laughs> that It depends always, you know, sometimes uh, you have to, to, to fill the gaps. Uh, currently, I'd say there are 14 or so reporting directly to me and the entire organization I'm in charge of, which is Flix Tech on the one hand, and our people team on the other hand is about 550. Okay. So what does your typical day look like? So after half an hour to, you know, kind of uh, take a shower and uh, have the first coffee, um, usually during the day, I have quite some meetings. Um, it's a mixture of, you know, one-to-ones to really make sure, you know, I understand the individual problems and support, you know, resolving them, but also uh, talking to my people and how, you know, how I can support them growing. On the one hand, on the other hand, there's kind of group meetings where we have sure fixes to take, you know, joint decisions. Um, that's uh, from the management board and C-level perspective, um, down to individual group uh, group sessions where we, we tackle individual topics. And that's mainly what it is. Um, sometimes due to the management board role, it's also like interviews and stuff as we do it today. And later on, later the day, so to say, you know, I do kind of my homework. I just take care about my inbox. Um, I read presentations and uh, I comment slides and these kind of things. And um, yeah, that's kind of like the, the after hour work. And uh, during the week, where I'm basically most of the time out of home. So, you know, being a, around somewhere like here in Lisbon, I barely do anything else beside having dinner and work. And uh, that's a good thing. I, I, I still enjoy it very much. So your book, excuse my German, Mission Republic focuses on the future of work. Yeah. Can you share some key insights and in your vision of for an agile, inclusive and humane working environment? So. We must not forget that in the 21st century, different than the 19th and 20th century, it's not about, you know, uh, humans doing repetitive tasks. 
And it's also not about, you know, some of uh, the fear and the uncertainty about, again, um, artificial intelligence kind of stealing our jobs. I believe, you know, the brain which powers, you know, our society to keep on doing better things, innovation, all that stuff remains human. And that means we have to focus on the human factor. And uh, I believe that this means mentioning and focusing and really putting the human being much more in the middle of um, doing and not only the output, but the outcome. That's something uh, which in the future is uh, really much more important and became even more present after COVID, you know, when it didn't matter so much where we are working, um, but how we work, it, you know, we had to work from home here and there. But essentially, it's also not only about working remote, but bringing people together because the topics we as human beings have to solve are very complex as our society is complex. So, you know, recentering the human being around the acting of doing business is something uh, which I believe the 21st century only has started with and it's also being pointed out in the book uh, Tsukumt's Republic. So re Republic of the Future, basically, it's the English term. So in your interaction with the readers of this book, have there been any unexpected perspectives or stories that challenge your own views regarding work? Well, that's always the case because we must not forget that, you know, there are individual small societies like the organization of a company like Flix. There are larger societies like a nation, a country, and then there's Europe, and then there's the world. And we have biases, we have been socialized differently. So there's a bunch of different views. And to really have open and honest discussions about that without any hate or violence, just to make sure what we want to do, you know, to bring, to develop our society further and to protect the planet, that's very controversial. And therefore there were many interactions because many different people have read the book. And I always try to get the feedback, think about that, and then uh, eventually start a discussion with hopefully a good outcome for all of us. Speaking of hate and violence, uh, Flixbus under your leadership has taken a strong stand against anti-Semitism. Uh, how do you see the role of companies in addressing social issues and what motivated Flixbus to take this clear stance? In general, Flix is not a political company. I mean, we're a company, we're here to provide good services to our customers. But sometimes, unfortunately, things happen which are you know, so much not to be imagined, whether it's the war in Ukraine, there is some, you know, nature catastrophes, or there was a terror attack of the Hamas, where I believe you have to clearly voice your point of view. And particularly as a German company, obviously we have a responsibility and uh, we're against anti, any, you know, way of anti-Semitism, but hate and, and, you know, bad things in general. And therefore we had to take that stand as a German company. And uh, on top of that, we clearly repeat that, as I said, any hate, any violence, anything independent of the background, the color, the nation, the religion, we are against. We believe, you know, only jointly in a good sense, humanity can really progress. And that's something we support as a company. And I believe our purpose is very much clearly, you know, stating that. And that was one of the reasons we were also crystal clear on the terror attack of the Hamas. How do you approach conversations with team members who may hold diverse opinions on such controversial issues? And how do you foster a culture of open dialogue within Flixbus then? Very good question. So um, we had that a couple of times already, whether, you know, we have a bunch of people. We have obviously Ukrainian people and we have Russian people and we have, you know, Muslim people and we have Jewish people. And uh, we want to have that very colorful environment. Also independent of, you know, if you're just what kind of letter of LGBTQ I plus you you think your own is um you know use it together 
and just discuss openly. And we are always receiving the feedback. We're taking that into our all hands. We try to reflect on that. And uh, being very open and humble is the key on these discussions. And, you know, the culture we've created at Flix is independent of your sexuality, of your religion, and uh, of your passport. And uh, I'm very proud that I'm saying all of our Flix people really signed up for that. And therefore, we can have these discussions. Okay, so let's move back to... Uh regulatory tech now. Uh, how do you navigate regulatory challenges within the European Union uh, while fostering a culture of innovation in your tech team? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you took Europe as the example, which really could have been even worse. Well, it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing discussion. You know, there is legacy and there were reasons in the past why regulators took certain decisions. And obviously, you know, regulatory is there to protect all of us. And protection sometimes means that means you're a little bit slow in, you know, encountering new things. And also there we take the stand of um, open discussions, being very transparent and not hiding things. And we start individual discussions with municipalities, with countries also on European level. And I have to admit the EU in that sense, even though sometimes it's really been bad touched in the news, in that sense is very helpful to make sure we can foster deregulation in a certain sense. If especially it provides better and additional services to our customers, to all of us. And, um, you know, that means just repeating the message, proving your point of view and that there is actual value towards the customers. And uh, then it takes time. So is there any specific instance where regulatory constraint posed a significant hurdle for technological innovation in Flexbus or any kind of uh, innovation? Well, yes and no. I believe we fortunately never had a real burden. You know, for instance, if we talk about artificial intelligence, we started years ago mainly around machine learning and therefore it was totally, you know, mathematical anonymous data. So I don't have any problem with any AI acts there. Um, we were happy because we were born because of deregulation. I believe, you know, if you look at the German train market, I believe, you know, making the train infrastructure a bit more independent, eventually carving it out of uh, the government, uh, governmental owned player would make more sense and speed up things in the railway market in Germany and therefore also support Flix train, particularly, you know, the customers with a better offer and cheaper prices eventually. Um, but outside of that, we were always lucky to, you know, uh, having found a way um, to really put uh, innovation in place and making good things towards our customers. All right, so the last question for you is of a personal kind. What would you be doing in your life if not this? Oh, that's a good question. I'm happy to not have answered that directly because I keep on doing that as long as uh, the company needs me and I believe I can bring value and plumb some things. I guess, you know, as a child, um, like my little son, by the way, I wanted to become a pilot. And... Um, and then I really for some time didn't know what I wanted to do in my life. I think I couldn't back then really listen to my gut and explicitly state that entrepreneurship is what I really enjoy and therefore I love what I do. 